episodes I've done, but there's a slight structure, but it's pretty freewheeling. Uh, okay. I tend to let the guests take the conversation where they like. Uh, I come from a interviewing background, which it seems like you, you do too as a documentarian. Uh, although yeah. I did not have yeah. the time to check out the smudging or the, the parties downstairs. Okay. But I'm guessing those aren't necessarily documentaries. No, the, the, um, the smudging kind of played the first act of the smudging is it plays a, like a faux documentary style. Cool. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, there's there's interviews and there's people telling backstory about uh, the things that we're going to investigate. And then the second and third acts are the, the like the narrative film. Okay. Yeah. So and uh, the parties downstairs is just a narrative short film. I'll um, I'll send you that one. I, I it's not available anywhere. Uh, it's still uh, getting looked at by film festivals, but I'll I'll email you the, uh, the link for that one, too. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome, Mike. To a psycho semantic cast, uh, Mike Marin, director of a couple films, but mostly today we're going to talk about Cinema Red, Natives, and Horror. I know the film is still doing the the festival circuit right now, but have you imagined what the quote unquote you know the back of the box would say about this film? Um, hopefully, uh, well, uh, first of all, uh, Darren, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I'm honored to be a to be a guest here. Um, Let's see. What would it say on the back on the back of the Blu-ray? I, I just hope one word uh, doesn't get put on the back of the box. Now it'd be like laughable, or because <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I, I, I on my previous film, The Smudging, uh, I did get pretty uh, bombarded with critiques on an internet movie database. But that's a whole another conversation. But for this one, on the back of the on the back of the Blu-ray, it would say um, I, I, I would say it's an important film because it's one of a kind. It's the first of its kind uh, to focus on the native American perspective on horror movies, scary movies, thrillers. Um, and it would just, uh, it would just say something simple like the, like the preamble of the film, you know, eight, eight uh, artists got together and, and, and talked about uh, an, uh, uh, classic America phenomenon, which is the horror movie. And these are their words that pretty much um, sums it up because I'd like the viewer to to really get into it and see because you're going to hear eight, eight different perspectives of something that a lot of fans of cinema, um, international cinema, horror movies seem to be the standout um, because I think probably about 98% of the world's population love horror movies. Um, so I'm glad to be proud of that number. But yeah, uh, hopefully on the back it, it says uh, one of the critiques is it's an important film, which I think it is, and that's why I wanted to make it. I would agree with you from a from a fan perspective and from an outsider perspective. I think the movie first got put on my radar by a mutual acquaintance acquaintance of ours, Nez, uh, quickly <laughs> quickly followed by Lance and the Horror Returns guys. And I yeah. got saying, hey, let me let me know when it's going to be available because I might miss it. You know, just let me know <laughs> when I can get my hands on it. And then we luckily got put together. I was either too bother too bothering of our of our friends or just the right amount of excited. And I yeah, not to bury the lead. I really dug this man. I, I was I'm not done watching it unless <laughs> unless my link disappears. I found it fascinating. For those who don't haven't heard or very new to you and to this, what sort of was the spark that made you sit down and start making this? Uh, I was inspired by um, a very, very remarkable landmark film to me um, was the Shutter exclusive Horror Noir about the African-American involvement in horror cinema. And I, I really respected that film because it gave a perspective that a lot of people don't know. I mean, um, the, the, the ground that it covered from having, you know, George A. Romero, the late, great George A. Romero, uh, father of the, you know, father and founder of the zombie genre, how he chose um, an African-American lead, which was unheard of at the time in 1967, 68, uh, to have a African-American protagonist in a film um, 
I think that was that was uh, one of the most beautiful things about about cinema that changed the face of, of, of horror movies and of modern American cinema. And I felt that with Native American people, we're always seen as the backdrop. Um, we're just kind of put there as a stepping stone. So the so the central character who's uh, a lot of the times non-native can move their story along. And I got tired of, of, of seeing that. And then also seeing uh, a lot of uh, scary movies come out that are made by non-native people um, with a Native American theme, whether it being something supernatural or something something tangible, it's kind of like, well, do you really know the story of what you're writing about? Do you know the backstory? Did you do the research? Do you know anybody that's native that can contribute or has contributed to your to your story? So. I oh, first of all, I just want to make clear that I'm I'm not at all opposed to a non-native making native themed films, but I am opposed to them doing it on their own without with kind of just guessing. That would be like me trying to make a movie, a grassroots movie about you know something like the Holocaust, when I have no background in it. I I, I know nothing about it other than what I've read in books or or um, seen in other films. So it's kind of like if you're going to make something that has an ethnic flair to it, I believe you, I firmly believe you have to have somebody there as a, as a consultant or as the storyteller themselves helping move that story along. So with Native Americans and film, I, I believe that we need to be centrally involved, either contributing being consulted or doing it ourselves. And I chose the route of doing it myself because I have a lot of stories that, that I know that were told to me by my grandma, my aunts, my uncles, uh, people that on my Pueblo or on other reservations I visited. And I've collected a, a, a plethora of stories that I think need to be told, but I would like to tell them from my perspective, bring it traditional scary stories to a urban setting. And that's the genre I've created in creating urban native horror. And Cinema Red is kind of the, uh, it's kind of, I wouldn't say the textbook, but it's kind of like the eye opener to what's to come as far as Native American themed horror cinema. While watching this as a very white person, I, I, I was aware of, you know, the representations that I remembered, especially growing up. You know, I didn't really watch a lot of Westerns, but I know there's the deal with hiring a lot of Italians and yeah. stuff to play native peoples. And But what I thought of first was Taylor from Poltergeist 2. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily as a child, but he, he played a chief in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right? Yes. Yes. And um, I don't remember anybody's name from Predator, but oh, that uh, the character of Billy was uh, the late um, the late Sonny Landham. Yeah. Okay. And it I it, especially because I grew up in the I was I'm a child of the eighties. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of stuff that I'm glad seems to be getting moved away from some stuff that. I felt is very insensitive and seems to not have had any cultural advisor on the film. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, okay, well, we'll do this. So you had, you, you put this together in four months mm -hmm. and you had a film director. You talked about the radio talk show host, a few actors, a comic book artist and a game designer and you. Yes. And yeah, that was one of the things that I noticed I sort of expected and I was happy to hear talked about, but the, the misrepresentation, the casual, oh, it's an Indian burial ground thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, like that's got to be it. And, uh, you know, thinking about how the outsiders imagine your story or a story or a family story should be told instead of how it should be told. And I, I, some people said, you know, this, it's not, it's not your story to tell in some instances. And then, um, uh, what's his name? I think he was the video game designer said that in another sense, it is cool that there are 
uh, native filmmakers working on stuff because the amount of people who know some stories is diminishing. Yeah. And, yes. Uh, the European monsters and creatures and myths are so casually shorthand and the more specific personal stories are starting to get lost. Yeah, it's it's kind of like um, our languages, indigenous language in the United States with indigenous people, with the native people of, of North America. Um, we're, we're rapidly running out of people that know our languages. So language revitalization is one of the things that that has to happen if we're to carry our culture forward for the next generations. Um, and as far as cinema goes, as far as movies go, um, we have to start telling our own stories by word of mouth. Because those stories, like like the gentleman, like uh, his name's Alan, Alan Turner from Chicago. Alan stated that in, in the film, which uh, which you said verbatim, you know, that we're quickly running out of people that know these stories. So we have to start documenting them by uh, the medium of film, of cinema. And that's one of the things that I like to do. I'm, I'm a storyteller at heart um, is to tell these stories and to get them out there. And tell them in a way that's respectful, because there, there's a way to tell a story. As far as native filmmaking goes, there's a way for us to tell a story. But yet, going back a little bit, it's like, well, do we have the permission to tell this story? So even with within our own culture, we have to go through a protocol before we can tell this story, because there has to be certain times a year when we can write things. There's a certain a certain reluctance to want to, to tell to telling them uh, there's a lot of elders that have advised um, have, that have advised me when I did the smudging um, they're just kind of like well just be careful about how much you can tell be careful about how much you want to show because there are things that you could upset upset the balance so just be careful I've been uh, with a lot of the projects that I have on deck I've been advised by my elders to be careful that's always the number one thing is be careful what you're doing because, you know, thinking back of movies like, uh, like the exorcist, as a matter of fact, earlier today, I just watched the documentary, um, about the, about the making of the exorcist and how a lot of things, misfortunes happened during the course of them making the film. And I believe in that stuff. I believe in karma. I believe in, in, in energies and, and, and medicine and, and things of that nature because I was raised around it. You know, my, just quick little footnote, my, on my mom's side, our blood is, is medicine blood. I come from a medicine family, a family of, uh, of healers and of medicine men, medicine people. So that's in my bloodline as well. So I try to incorporate that a little bit, too, in my storytelling. Uh, there's always got to be a light in all the darkness um, because you can't dwell in the dark for too long or else you become part of it. So that's one thing that I learned at an early age. But um, go, but, but moving forward, it's like, I want to tell these stories in a good way and I don't want it to seem like, um, you know, like it's a native only, like natives only, everybody else not allowed because that's the, the easiest way to push somebody away is like, we want everybody to be captivated by our stories. But for once, I want us to tell them, I want us to be able to have creative control and to tell them in the way that we, we see is right. That because we have that knowledge and that research and we have that uh, ability, we have that energy, we have that medicine to be able to tell a story that we feel is respectable and hopefully seen in a good light in a lot of the darkness that surrounds us. That's how I want to learn the stories, too, is from the people. You know, I, I used to work at the folklore department at Ohio State here. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I did was um, I was organizing old theses papers and stuff and i saw especially in the 70s 70s and 80s there were a decent amount of people who were either tracing their roots back to to their native peoples or just studying the the people who used to live on the the land ohio stole um and he, i mean we live in a place called columbus so <laughs> 
there was a decent amount of stuff, especially in the from the seventies and eighties, and then I saw it sort of taper away, and you know, as I got closer to the thousands, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's you know, there and there's stuff all over the place that I feel like may or may not be very factual and may or may not be people telling their own story. I, I have slight memories of down in Chillicothe, they have an outdoor drama about Tecumseh. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure they did have Native Americans play the Native American parts, but I, I really don't know who's in charge, who wrote the stories. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, I feel like there's a bit more leaning on the, uh, what did the one guy say? Like white, white conquerors greatest hits or whatever you know yeah <laughs> white people's greatest hits yeah, yeah. and <laughs> it's it, it, and it's just casually around and i feel like it's not often questioned uh nowadays i feel like people are less likely to dig in and do the research that's why mm-hmm. i think documentary form is a great way to get information told yeah and i i liked yeah, you talk. There's there's the talk about um, the rite of passage, and in, in in this sense, it's the getting into horror movies and things like that. And uh, you know, when people are talking about their first favorite horror movies and the different things that involve bloodshed that happen at a turning point in a young person's life, and I I just really dig this idea. And getting coming from the personal side, talking about, uh, you know, myths and legends, uh, the little people, skinwalkers. Can you tell me or can you tell me at some other time about the forbiddance of whistling at night? Well, I was taught, um, especially from uh, from our Pueblo, my Pueblo side and my Navajo side. It's you never whistle at night because that is you don't know what you're calling. You know, when one I think to um, to quote the character of Elise from Insidious um, chapter three, when she tells the young girl, Quinn, when 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 the character tells tells Elise, who's a medium, when she tells her, you know, I talk to my mom at night. I always talk to her at night. And when Elise tells her very chillingly that be careful when you talk to the dead, because when you talk to them, all of them are listening. You know, when you talk to one, all of them are listening. So in a way that for us, whistling at night is depending on what, if you're whistling at somebody or something, everything around you is listening. So it's usually, we usually, our people used to use whistles as calls. And there was always different whistles for everything, whether for family, for friends, hunting calls, or just to signal, um, to signal somebody that uh, there's somebody approaching or what have you. And then when you do that at night, it's kind of like you're calling that energy that you're inviting it. You're inviting it over to you. So that's one of the things that we told we, we, we never do it at night because you never know what you're calling or you never know what will answer back. Um, so that's, that's one of the, one of the ones that uh, one of the ones that we really kind of pay attention to. You know, it, it, it's, you know, go, going back a little bit like that was one of the rites of passage. You know, as, as a little kid, you know, everybody knows about the game of Bloody Mary. <laughs> you know, let, let's let's play Bloody Mary. You, you, had, you had sleepovers of friends. Someone always says, well, let's do Bloody Mary. I don't know if they do it now anymore. But um, back then, back in our day, it was like, let's, you know, or, you know, I dare you to go into this closet by yourself and, and you know, do whatever. And those are rites of passage. So for for us, like when I when I introduced the film, I say that the rite of passage for us was, you know, who could stay up late at night and watch uh, late night horror movies, you know, and, and not turn off the TV or not hide under the blankets or what have you, you know. So whistling at night in some tribes or some some people that hear that tend to want to do it. But that's when us native people back off and say, all right, man, well, go ahead. But I have no part of that. That's on you. So <laughs> I, I'm, I, I hope uh, any of you listeners out there don't from, from one native to you, 
don't do it. Please don't do it. Don't kick that hornet's nest because it's like, like the same thing they say with Ouija boards. You know, oh, you don't yeah. open you, you don't open doors. You, you you don't open doors that that can't be shut conventionally. Because once some of those energies get to you, they they stick to you like a tattoo. They'll they'll be embedded onto you for a long time. And you just got to be careful with what you're calling out there because you never know what's going to answer back. Yeah, that's that's good universal advice. And my wife will probably be happy because I tend to whistle a lot and kind of annoys her. So <laughs> I'll probably cut down on my nighttime. And, uh... <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> yeah. I would say I mostly do, do it a day if I really think about it because I don't want to wake anybody up. Mm-hmm. But I guess... This is just a more elaborate version of not wanting to wake anybody up. Yeah. <laughs> or anything. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to kick but, that um, hornet's nest. <laughs> but the just real quick, the, one of the stories that a couple of the interviewees mentioned was little people. And um, little people are, are, are seen everywhere. You know, in, in every culture, there's some kind of uh, diminutive beings that are out there and there I, I, I know people that have actually encountered them. Um, I have a, a friend that told me on his reservation that he woke up in the middle of the night with one sitting on his chest and he hit it with a hammer and it flew out the window. And I, I don't know if like, you know, you, you can kind of look at those things like, okay, he was probably half asleep or, you know, he's probably dreaming, but, there's times where uh, I have an, another friend who um, heard something tapping at his, his patio door at night when he was doing dishes and his daughter, you know, went over there and she, I think at the time she was five, four or five. And she, she sat down in front of the glass at night and she was looking out, she was laughing. She was laughing at whatever was out there. So he went and he pulled her away and put her to bed and he asked her, what are you laughing at? She said, the little people. He's like, what little people? And she goes, there's little people outside. She's like, okay, well, you know, he thought, you know, just okay. She's a little girl, imagination, there you go. And then he was out there and he, he was watching TV and he heard that tapping again at the patio door. And he said that he went out and he turned on the patio light and then he saw these little people running into the darkness of his backyard. The next morning he looked at the bottom of the glass and he, he frosted it over. You know how you blow on glass to yeah. see like he blew, he frosted the glass over and there was little handprints. <laughs> yeah. So, and then of course, you know, there's, there's people that believe, but don't want to, that always find a way to debunk something like his mom was like, probably just raccoons. And he's like, I've never seen raccoons run on two legs <laughs> and look like little naked people. Yeah, running a bunch away. of shaved raccoons running around. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and I've heard I heard various stories about that. I mean, I, the 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 amount of stories that I've heard that I've collected from other people is chilling. I mean, there's there's things that you don't like. I said you don't want to believe, but you know the way they're telling it. Either these these folks are like the greatest actors in the world, or they're telling the truth. And I tend to believe the latter because. I've known I know a lot of people that don't lie. They don't have the ability to lie. Um, and I take it I take it for what it is because for one, I can't doubt something I've never seen. I always keep that open to to possibility. You know, there, 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 this possibility is real. And for you know, for me, someone that has experienced paranormal activity on a very very you know turning the heart cold level it's pretty uh it's it's pretty eye-opening to the things that people tell you 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 tend to be more open to it because you've experienced it you've seen it for yourself you felt it i damn sure felt it and just on another quick uh footnote um we actually captured a shadow figure in the smudging and that footage is actually in the feature film. There was no way I could edit it out with that scene. That's a, it's a poignant scene. And I had to leave that footage in there. So as far as I know, the research that has been done. It's the only genuine motion picture that actually has a ghost figure in it. 
I, I, I don't, I, I invite anyone to debate that, to watch the film. The film's available on Amazon Prime called The Smudging. And it, I, I, I dare anybody or debate, not debate, invite anybody to watch that and let me know what you think about it. Because I was there, I experienced it, three other actors experienced it, and it's on film. Man, glad I still have Amazon Prime. <laughs> I also believe that there are many things out there that I have not seen I in this world and in this universe, you know? Yeah. Uh, I feel like I've had paranormal experiences, uh, but I also know that I, I was... I came up in the Catholic Church before I got out of it. Yeah, uh, me too. Me yeah. too. For, for for twelve years of corduroys. Yeah, yeah you I know, was, I was there. So I am more likely to be superstitious, but <laughs> some of this stuff that I feel like after is in more makes more sense. Uh, it makes more sense, and I find it more believable than a lot of stuff people find as totally acceptable to be talked about in more mainstream religions. Yeah. I think that's yeah. that's it. Yeah, it's like talking about growing up Catholic. You know, we're we're told that, you know, the wafer and the wine are flesh and blood by the end of all things. And just yeah. other stuff like that. Um I don't, I'm not exactly yeah. sure how I got to that from that, but just 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 real quick, uh, I have to send a shout out to Nez on this point because uh he he asked me at one time when we were growing up, he said, Is that really like you know, in, in your in your religion, is that really like the, the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ? I was like, yeah, you didn't know that. <laughs> I said, that's that's why those wafers taste so nasty. That's actual flesh from back in one A.D. <laughs> he's like, I was like, come on, man. <laughs> but yeah, this. Uh, but going back real quick about what, what we what was mentioned earlier about a burial ground. If you think about it with the westward expansion and colonization historical trauma of native people the united states is one huge burial ground yeah <laughs> so there's there, there in, in every inch of the united states there, there had to be some some piece of atrocity that happened in history whether it be with uh african-american people i mean not only did you know native people die in the quote-unquote war of the americas but you know a lot of european european people did so it's not just like you know, a, a funny cartoon would be um, a lot of native ghosts kicking out European ghosts. Like, this ain't even your burial ground. Get out of here. It's like, but I died here, too. You know, it's, it, so if you think about it, it's it's a land of death. You know, to be to, to be made into the United States, look what it took to unite it. A lot of pain and suffering. A lot of progress, too. But, you know, predominantly this land had to be, you know, had to be exploited before it was, you know, expanded. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, real quick, go talking a little bit about, you know, uh, the Catholic religion. I've had I had people ask me, like, how can I believe in the things I do traditionally with growing up Catholic? And it's kind of like, well, if you could believe a, a, a guy can rise from the dead and was born out of, you know, out of uh, immaculate conception, now, why can't you believe in um, people that can shapeshift, that can turn into animals? You know, because that that's true. I mean, that's 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 to us. That kind of mysticism is gospel is our gospel. You know, I can I can tell you a story about how one of my uncles on the way home from a hunting trip uh, in front of his truck uh, crossing the road was a wolf standing on two feet carrying a deer. And he saw that in the dead of night coming back from a hunting trip. So, you know, it kind of makes you think and he, this, this is a man who who served in, in, in Vietnam and, and was a hardened veteran and was one of the one of the healers in our, our Pueblo side. But yet when he sees something like that, it's like, you know, <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, I saw what I saw. I think that's one of the things that the naysayers like to bring up is the the image of the moonshine drunk hillbilly talking about UFOs or 
something like that when a quote unquote perfectly regular everyday people who you wouldn't doubt if they said anything else say something and then it's like yeah okay sure yeah i i, I when when i jokingly i'm in conversations with people um i always tend to throw something out of left field just to see if uh if, if anybody's still listening um <laughs> You know, it, it, a lot of the times I, 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 I'm t- I tend to be a joker. I, lo- I love to joke around. I love to, I'm very, I, I always try to find humor in so much. Um, and, it, and it's one of those things like, uh, oh, yeah, I've seen, uh, you know, I, 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 I've seen something in, in Lake Michigan before when I, you know, used to work for the Y and took the kids swimming. It was a big old giant tail disappearing. They're like, really? So, yeah, yes, I've seen that. And before you're talking about something, you know, really just kind of grassroots politics or, or, or sports or something, but then you throw something out there. Someone's like, oh, oh, wow. And then it totally changes the mood of the conversation where someone will say like, yeah, one time we went camping at Starved Rock and, and, and we heard this howling, but it sounded kind of like human voices. And, you know, it's, or, or if you, I, I love to really screw around sometimes and I'll pick something out of like Stephen King's macro verse. Like one time I, I pulled a, uh, 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 something out of uh, the Tommyknockers and I was like yeah one time I was driving through uh, uh, Castro Valley California and I stopped at a stoplight and I uh, looked in the storm drain and I saw this clown with bright eyes staring out at me <laughs> and someone's like what? And I was like yeah it was it was trippy I don't, I don't know I might have been tired or what have but that's what I saw and they're like oh my god and it's like come on guys that's from it like that's from, that's from Tommyknockers Stephen King you know <laughs> But it, it, it tends to keep people on their toes. And then Donald said, do you want to see a dead body? Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like it, it, but, you know, getting getting back to, to Cinema Red. So, yeah, it was um, it, it was good to hear, you know, go, oh, and oh, about documentary filmmaking. It's. I think documentary filmmaking is probably one of the purest forms of storytelling in cinema because it's not scripted. You know, it's it's from it, it's it's just truth from somebody's perspective, from somebody's somebody's viewpoint on something that uh, that they feel passionate about or that they would like to sometimes get off their chest. And I think when when documentary filmmakers or I'll just say filmmakers give somebody that platform, I think what you get a lot of times is cinematic gold because you get something that's not that somebody else hasn't formulated like you, like me as the director, I'm not sitting there telling people, okay, this is what you're going to talk about. I just ask them a question and see where it goes from there. Like each segment I had to pull from, I asked nine questions. I I broke, I, I broke it down to nine questions, no bullet points, just nine questions. And each segment from each person, I would say they talked, you know, eight people with, nine questions talking about 40 about 45 minutes per segment per question that right there is like that's a treasure box of information and the hardest part was pulling from that like everything sounded so good like what do you pull from what do you edit what do you what point in statements do you want the public to hear and i think that's that's the hardest part of doing the film is trying to find the things that are just like the most uh, the, the the most informative answers to these questions. So yeah, documentary filmmaking. You know, I, I'm I'm in I'm in the film, but I'm more of just kind of like the the Rod Serling of the the segments. I just introduce the next segment. Um, but uh, there there there's people that have asked me like, what is there a part with me answering the questions? And um, I, I might put something together later, but for now, I just wanted to focus on other people. I wanted them, these eight artists that were that I was fortunate enough to have come forward, that, that were I was honored to have uh, come into this project. I wanted them to tell their story. You know, I, I didn't want to be the, the, the focal point. I wanted them to tell the story. You're not Michael Moore. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm far from it. I mean, that... That guy, you got you got to give him credit, man. That dude digs. Yeah, he no. digs and, and, and and he kicks he kicks doors open, and it's like if 
if I were to do a film of that of that nature, I, I would have to very much like buckle down and be disciplined on what I'm going to do as far as like the subject matters that he takes on. You know, it, it, you have to be very, uh, God, man, you have to be very disciplined and trusting in your vision, trusting in the people that you're going to have involved. That's that's what goes, and, and then in turn, you have to have them trust you as the director because you're the visionary, the filmmaker, the, the director is the visionary. So you have to have them believe in you as well for a project to come together. You know, for this one, like it came together as well as I, I wanted it to. I'm not at one point disappointed in, in Cinema Red. It was exactly how I wanted it from the first time I thought about it back in, geez, what was it, April? And April is when I first came up with the idea and then and everything just took off from there. And look, it's, it's already done. You know, it's done and it's, it's exactly the way I wanted it to be. It's a great film and I, I don't overstate that. I think anybody that likes horror movies or that is interested in cultures should check this out. I appreciate, I appreciate that. When you can. You know, if you're near a festival, look for Cinema Red or, you know, put that in your Google alerts like you do with your favorite sports team or, you know. Kardashians. Kardashians, yeah. like <laughs> Mitch McConnell. <laughs> whatever your obsession uh, or your interest you know like... cool man well I appreciate your uh, I appreciate that that you liked it I'm glad that you liked it um so yeah uh and, and, and it's funny I'm glad that our we have a mutual mutual friend in Nez uh, Nez is like me my greatest critic you know everything <laughs> that I do has to it has to be hella good that's his thing it's, it has to be hella good or it's weak. That those are his. That's his rating system. There's nothing in between. It's either yeah. hella good or it's weak. So <laughs> I, I got the hella good stamp of stamp of approval from uh from the Magnez podcast. <laughs> that's the old school skater in him, I think. Yeah, yeah. He, he he. Ever since we were growing up, he's always that's always been his thing. Is like if it's food or if it's a comic book or or a wrestling match or a TV show, it's either hella good or it's weak. <laughs> and just uh you know i i respect it I, I i always respect that guys his uh well i won't say a lot of the times we agree on movies like we just kind of uh traded paint on uh <laughs> brightburn which he loved he loved that movie but i thought it at best it was average you know it was it was just kind of you know it, it was a good film it was well shot but as far as story goes uh, I've seen the other side of it, which was Superman the movie, um, <laughs> but he he loves that film and that that's his, his his thing. But I'm glad that we have a mutual love of schlock, underground cult horror films too. Um, we are actually doing on uh, his podcast, um, getting into 31 Days of Horror. So he and I both traded lists on things to watch. And I tried to pick the most underground films I could find um, that are streaming, and I sent my list to him, so he's he's catching up with stuff. Nice. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's fun. I think horror as a genre is is fun. From what, I, okay, I I had the pleasure and the honor of sitting down and talking with John Carpenter, oh. and to me, that's he's my 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 directorial mentor. I love, I mean, Halloween's my favorite horror movie of all time. And to sit down and meet with him and have a conversation with him about horror movie, about movies, it was just like meeting, you know, like a lot of people said, oh, when I met Mickey Mantle or when I met, you know, George Romero or when I met, uh, you know, so-and-so, it's like, that was mine. To me, that was mine. It was like, it, it was it was one of the greatest moments of my life. And to actually hand him, when he asked me, "Do you have you done any work?" and to hand him a copy of the Smudging, and say, "This is my first film," and to have him look at it and be like, "Oh wow, okay, I'm I'm gonna check this out," and you know, gave him my card. I said, "Please, if you can, just give me your your two cents on it. I I be harsh if you need to. I'll accept it because you know you're the ma you're one of the masters of horror." And to have him 
you know, tell, tell me like, have fun. That was his greatest advice. And I asked him if, as a, as a director, what is your advice to give to a novice director of, of let's say the horror genre? And he just said, just two words, have fun, have fun with it and, and believe in what you're doing. But he said that the hardest thing to make is comedies. He doesn't like making comedies. He said, because tempers get short, jokes get flat. And then when you see it, he said, you know, he told me when I see comedies that I've done, you know, and I'm sitting in the theater watching it, I'm just grueling it because everybody's laughing, but we know what kind of pain went behind that one moment that everybody finds hilarious, you know? So he was just like, just, just have fun. And that's, that's what I do. I try, I try to make sure my, my cast has fun. My crew has fun because a lot of the times the subject matter we're working with is, is pretty, it's pretty intense. So that's why what's going to, that's why at the end of, of, of cinema red, I won't spoil it, but at the end, that's why I have that segment with the closing credits is uh, just kind of lighten the mood. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like those, those, cause it, it does get, I might have to cut this part out, but when I saw the red dresses, it reminded me mm-hmm. of the last time I was at the the Native American Museum at the Smithsonian. I'm a big fan of going to Washington, D.C. It's a lot easier for me to get there. It's just a couple hour flight or, you know, a long drive, maybe nine or ten yeah. hours. Uh, but I've been going there since I was little. My parents were big uh, anti-war protesters. So we were going mm-hmm. to do de- there's always a war to protest in D.C., sadly enough, but. I sort of fell in love with the city and being a political person, but they had the uh, they had a display all the way around the outside. I don't know if you've been there. No, I've never been to the, the that's the uh, National Museum NMAI. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I haven't been there yet. Uh, it's a big, big, round, beautiful building uh, with you know, and they had all around it. I think they had a red dress for just just this year yeah of all the all the all the missing and murdered indigenous women yeah yeah Um, that's yeah that epidemic is it's heartbreaking it's 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 heartbreaking and it, it just there's there's a lot of things that uh you know with every with every event there's always a story to tell behind it and I'm actually working on one right now. Um, and it's kind of a lot of times I have to, I have to stop because it gets that intense because I know, um, in, in my community where I come from, I'm from the, uh, uh, San Francisco, Oakland Bay area. I'm from Oakland and I know a lot of women that have are survivors of trauma, of sexual trauma and to get them to, talk, talk with me about things. It's really, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an epidemic that, and and it's not just, you know, it's on a global scale with trafficking and and, and all that kind of thing. And it's not, it's not going to, it's, it's what's going to stop it. I think that's the question that looms over any community, you know, is, is what's going to stop it. Who's going to stop it. You know, in, in, in times of, uh, it's, it's kind of sad because like in times of that we live in of superhero movies, right? We, we look to superheroes to, to solve our problems, but at what time are we willing to, you know, take the mantle on that and do something, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a tough thing. It's a tough subject. And to see something like that, like from what I've heard that display, that, that exhibit like has as much emotional impact as the nine one one. 9-11 Memorial or the Vietnam wall um, and, or the Oklahoma city Memorial. I mean, those are places that I have, I have yet to visit and I'm, I know I'm just in for something gut wrenching and, 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 and hard as, because, you know, trauma, trauma sucks, man, pain, death, all that stuff. It sucks. And when it hits close to home, it's just, you, you feel you make it, it it's more personal. Yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to say. It's 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 personal because it's people that you know that have been through that. Yeah. Totally yeah. just went off on a on a thing, but uh, you know, it's it's just 
it, it, it's all relative, you know, as far as being a filmmaker, because you want to tell stories and you want to make sure. And, and, and as, while we're talking about a documentary, you know, you always want to make sure you tell the story as best as you can and as truthful as you can, because in essence, you're not telling it. You're just putting it out there. Being the conduit for the story. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, on, on a lighter note, it's, it's, uh, I, I see a lot of movies that have a lot of native themes to them that, that are pretty decent. You know, it's not, it's not quote unquote, it's not all lost, you know, like there are some hardcore native filmmakers that are just like, no F that, you know, it's all, this is our thing. And it's like, okay. But at the same time, you know, I go back to what, uh, one of my friends, uh, said in Chicago, who's an artist, he's an art critic, actually. And he was just like, if you did a painting in, in, because I'm an artist as well. He said, if you did a painting of a still life, an apple and an orange and a bowl with a candle, is that considered Native American art? Is that American Indian art? And I was like, and at first I was like, no. And he's like, why not? A native did it. You as a native person did that, did that piece. Why isn't it a native, native art? And I said, well, are we talking about theme? Like themes? He's like, it doesn't matter. Is it, is it native art? I was like, well, if you're talking about theme, like it's not any kind of like, there's no Pueblo designs or no, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Northeastern woodlands kind of motif. It's just an apple and orange and a candle. But he said, that's the argument. You know, that's that's where we have to open up our minds, you know. So if I did a film about, uh, say, if I did a rendition of, of Romeo and Juliet, is it a Native American film? So that's that's the thing that we have to really think about. I mean, there's people that will nitpick at it and say, no, it's just you're stealing from Shakespeare. It's like, well, no, I'm just retelling your story. But from a different, you know, from a different filmmaking standpoint. You know, still same theme, but is it is it a native film? So, yeah, so still a lot, still a lot to learn as as I go in my filmmaking journey. So yeah, I don't want to sound like I know everything, but I really don't. And when you're in the presence of like, say, someone like John Carpenter, you really know how small you are as a film <laughs> as a filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, it's all about perspective, man. And, yeah, uh, it's good to have those shifts and looking at things from a different angle because it's easy to get myopic and just be like everything from my perspective is how everything is well yeah easier for some people than others but i try if i if i remember to ask my guest if there's like a cause a charity an organization that somebody should be aware of to either volunteer donate services or donate money to you've got a favorite few or one or two yeah um i have uh i have three um that i would really really encourage people to become involved in um and uh just saying this right now like non-native people are always welcome to any native american events whether it be a powwow or a feast and everybody's welcome one, one thing Native people like to do is like to feed people. And there's always an abundance of food in, in, in our events. So anybody's welcome to attend any events. Don't ever think that you're not welcome. You're welcome. So here's three organizations that I would like to bring into light. Okay, number one is where I grew up in Oakland, California. There's the Intertribal Friendship House, um, IFH to us. And that's um, it's an organization that does um give like uh they do a christmas a christmas feast a thanksgiving feast and like i said everybody's welcome um if you can just we ask please bring a dish to share um and all the events that we have are um no drugs or alcohol allowed and we do ask that you bring uh well what we call well variety come come to bring well variety that means the the uh, willingness to just be positive 
you know, because that that's what makes our community grow stronger is is any involvement has to be positive and not 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 judgmental or or violent. Just please come with a positive positive attitude so that in Oakland, it's the Intertribal Friendship House. And you can you can uh, find them on Google. Just Google Intertribal Friendship House. Um, I think it's IFH.org, if I'm not mistaken. The second one is my home away from home, which is uh, Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. And that's the American Indian Center of Chicago, which is the oldest American Indian Center in the United States. I think they just celebrated 60 plus years of, of being in Chicago. Um, they have since moved their, their location in Uptown to, um, to uh, a building on Ainsley. If you're familiar with the Chicago area, the, it's on Ainsley. And the, uh, their website is aic-chicago.org. And once again, they always have events. Just go on their website and you'll see the uh, list of upcoming stuff. And volunteer. If you have a skill, if you have something you want to share with community, please contact them. Contact the director, Heather Miller, and just let them know uh, what you would like to contribute. The third one is here in Los Angeles, where I'm, I'm living now. And that is... Um, uh, I don't necessarily know the name, but it's uaii.org, and that's here in Los Angeles. That's the uh, Indian Center for the one of the Indian centers, I will say, for the Los Angeles area. The other one is SCIC, Southern uh, Southern California uh, Indian something. I, I God, I just feel so bad. I should know these, but SCIC is another one, and there's uaii.org here in Los Angeles. Same thing, community centers that do a lot of good work. Resources, forgot to mention, there's a lot of community resources here if you need someone, if you need tutoring, if you need help, um, any Native people that want to help locate family, please. Any people that are that need just resources to help them find housing or help them find employment, please uh, step through the door. Another one that I would like to bring to light is in Sacramento, California, and there's also a location in Chicago called uh, California Indian Manpower Consortium, that's C-I-M-C, and they're another organization that helps out with job placement, helps out with housing and resources. So those four, those four community, uh, community centers and organizations I would like everybody to uh, look, take a look at. And uh, if you can, please donate your time and help get the word out there about the good that they're doing in the community. For, my, for myself, I have three online uh, clothing stores, and they're all at a, at a site called T-Public, T-E-P-U-B-L-I-C, T-Public.com. And um, the, one of the stores, my primary one, is, is a Native American-themed uh, T-shirt business, apparel business. And uh, the website for that is uh, tee.pub slash lic slash redgear96. I know that's a pretty long <laughs> URL, but that's how you find it. Um, the other one is uh, uh, t.pub slash lick slash hellanative, H-E-L-L-N-A-T-I-V-E. That's my second clothing store. That one is, uh, is Oakland-themed uh, artwork on apparel and as you could uh, as, as you may or may not know hella is a term that comes out of the bay area and the bay area oakland san francisco um so like in reference to nez hella good or hella tight or hella weak you know so hella is our word out there in, in the bay area the third one is what i what i call pop culture with a twist and that is my store called 80s beast because I grew up in the 80s. Um, so it's pop culture things with a with a twist, and that's at t.pub slash lic slash 80s beast, uh, 80s beast. And please check out check out those stores. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, I have, God, how many pages do I have? Four. <laughs> so find me at uh, Real Talk Junkies. Uh, that's Real Talk Junkies. That's my filmmaking page. And then you can find me at Red Gear 96. That's my clothing page. You'll see all the Hella Native 80s Beast and Red Gear on that page. Uh, I love action figures, collecting. I love action figure photography. You can find me at uh, on Instagram at the Boneyard Collectibles. 
and then you can find my artwork at MJ Marin or MJ is MJ Marin art MJ Marin art MJ M A R I N A R T. So those are my four pages, and uh, yeah, those are those are uh, those are things that I, I like to put out there because I'm an artist at heart. Um, and I'd like to send a shout out to uh, to uh, the Horror Returns podcast and to uh, the Mac Nez podcast, the Skater Nez podcast network. You guys rock. Um, and you too, Darren, thank you very much for, for having me on your show. I'm glad that you guys uh, have conversations with me. It gives me a chance to talk about things that, uh, that, that, that I like and <laughs> that, that I think we all find mutual, uh, mutual interest in things. And I think these, I think these podcasts are, are important because they're, they're grassroots from people that are in the trenches and it's a lot of stuff that we love to talk about that we'd like you guys to know about. So uh, thank all you guys for having me on your shows and I appreciate all the exposure that you're giving me. Thank you for your time and thank you for the conversation. One of my favorite parts of this is just having conversations with people I've never met before. And, you know, who knows? I, I mean, I've, I do have friends that live out in the West Coast. It's been a while since I've been out to Oakland. But, you know, as a former often touring punk musician, I've slept in front of many a house uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. gar guarding the gear in the van. Because, um, <laughs> you know, I was I was always the guy that had a girlfriend back home and we always mm -hmm. had to have somebody sleep in the van because. I forget what musician said it. You know, you could be lit. You could think you're in a really nice neighborhood and then a really nice crackhead will smash your window and take all your shit. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, thank you so much. I hope maybe uh, you'll feel like I'm going to ask you on the air. So you have to say yes. So maybe you'll feel like coming back and talking about a movie or something sometime more as a fan. Although I will talk yeah. about anything you created, but sometimes it's more fun to... <laughs> let your hair back a little bit and just be a fan of something. Oh, definitely. It just, whenever you want me on, just, uh, just send it, just send me a message. I'm All always right. available. I'll, I'll kick something your way after we get off here, but from now, thank you, dude. Thank you again for your time. I say everybody listening, if you're listening to the show and it's your first time, it'll probably be in your thing. But if you're listening to the show and you're back again, you're definitely going to want to check out this movie. It is right up your alley. Cinema Red, Natives and Horror, directed by this wonderful person right here, Mike Marin. And until next time, everybody, don't forget to duck and cover. <laughs> Yeah.